0: What I want to just have a chance to do this morning and just, um, um, you know, looking at the life of Peter and John and looking at what they did and how they lived their lives and and, and taking from that. And I trust that at the end of the sermon we will just recognize a little bit what is all in store for us when we live our lives, not for us, but for Christ. So let me start with a question. And this is maybe a bit of a bizarre question, but... Hear me out, and then see how you would answer this question: Have you ever been punished for doing something good? Maybe you were younger, and you really thought it'd be a great idea to help your sibling down the stairs, and you pick them up, and you started walking, and boom, 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 down they went, and you got yelled at. Or you decided to help mom make breakfast. And you really wanted to do something good, and so the milk was all over the counter, and hey, smashing eggs sounded like a good idea, so let's do some eggs, you know. Or husbands, maybe you wanted to help your wife out with something, or your dear wife wanted to help you out by filling the car and put diesel in it instead of gas. I don't know. But um, sometimes in life, when we mean to do something good for someone, and when we do something good... We can be punished for it. Have you ever been punished for doing something good? Acts chapter 3, if you turn there with me, and I will miss big chunks of this chapter, but I think most of you, we know these stories quite well. In Acts chapter 3, we read the story of when Peter heals the crippled man, the beggar. There was a man who was at this gate called Beautiful, and he was there every single day because he had been crippled since birth. And so somehow he was brought to this gate, and what he did every single day was beg. Beg for money, beg for food. We don't know exactly what, but we know for sure that he was out there begging every single day. And so one day as Peter and John are walking by, this man just in routine, this is all he did, this is what he did every single day, he begged. And he said, do you have something? And he's begging Peter and John for something. Verse 6, Then Peter said, Silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. Here's the good deed. And he says, In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Walk. What happens next? Verse 8. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. This guy didn't slowly learn how to walk. This guy's legs didn't slowly come back to him. This guy was like up and excited, bouncing around, following these disciples around, praising God. What an amazing good deed. For someone who's been there for 40 some years, since birth, has not been able to walk, suddenly has his legs jumping around, praising God. What an amazing act of kindness. Obviously, this does not go unnoticed. People begin to see this guy jumping around, and and he must have been a bit of a sight, you know, but what else would you do if you had never walked before? And he's jumping around, and, and the people, they want an explanation. How did this happen? And they may, because he's holding on to Peter and John so much, they would have obviously gone up to Peter and John and said, what happened here? What did you do? What did you say? How did you heal? How is this guy walking? Doesn't that happen to us often? We do something good. I I think like 99% of us in here today are probably Mennonites. We're a curious bunch, aren't we? We hear somebody, hey, you know, thanks so much for what you, you know, thanks for, what'd you do? What what, what was up yesterday? What, 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 you know, we're just curious, curious Georges, a bunch of us here. It's like all wearing our curious George hat. And it's like, and, and that's probably what was happening here a little bit. What, what did you guys do to this guy? What I find amazing is because when that happens to us, sometimes the answer is quite different than what Peter gives here. Peter, deliberately, when these people are all asking what happened, what's going on, and and we don't know exactly what the questions were, but we know that they were like in amazement that this guy who had been lame is now jumping around walking. And here's what Peter does. He deliberately turns the attention from himself to Jesus. The first thing and the very deliberate thing that Peter does is he takes this attention that he could be getting for himself... People running, it says. And he turns it to Jesus. Here's what he says. When Peter saw this, and he's talking about the people running, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Well, duh. Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we have made this man walk? Verse 16, By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can see. That, my friends, is what it looks like when it's not about us. Peter uses this opportunity and he launches into this sermon explaining you know who Jesus is and explaining to these people again what had been done to Jesus and how he had been crucified and how people they need to repent and how you know you need to turn from your sins and and he launches into this beautiful sermon and he talks about how Jesus was born from the dead raised from the dead and and the resurrection this doesn't go unnoticed by the people in the temple we read there that many came to know the Lord that day now jump to Acts chapter 4, as the story continues. When the priest, the temple guard, and the Sadducees heard this, they were bothered. The Sadducees especially were bothered, because you don't talk about the resurrection. In Jerusalem at that time was this thing called the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they made up the Sanhedrin. The Pharisees were about 75% of the Sanhedrin, and they did not believe in the resurrection. The Pharisees, they did, but the Sadducees did not. And so these guys are now hearing Jesus, uh, Peter preaching that Jesus is risen from the dead. And about the resurrection, they're like, no way, you don't preach resurrection in this temple. And so they had them arrested, they had them thrown into jail for nights. All of this because Peter healed a man got notice for it, didn't take the credit for himself, gave praise to Jesus, and now he's spending a night in jail. Have you ever been punished for doing something good? If you have, and if it's all about us, then here's how we probably would have responded when we were punished. I can't believe they would do that to us. We may, if we've been punished for doing something good for someone, and it's all about us, we may say something like, I'm never going to do that again. Puh! Ungrateful bunch of people. I can't believe I stuck my neck out for that guy, and what did he do? He doesn't even say anything. He, you know, then he goes and blah, 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 and he twists everything I said, and, and he makes it this, and he makes it that. I can't believe they didn't, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever. When it's all about us, that's how we would normally respond. You see, when it's all about us and then we don't get the recognition we think we deserve, we don't get the pat on the back that we think we should be getting and because it's all about us and we did something good and we stuck our neck out but because it's all about us and no one is recognizing it and no one is patting us on the back, you know the amazing thing is we actually feel insulted. And we feel that we are being taken for granted. Why? Because it's all about us. When it's not about us, when it's all about Jesus, we recognize that still uh, good was still done. Even though we may not have been recognized, even though no one patted us on the back, at the end of the day, good was still done for someone else. But more importantly, Jesus was made famous through our lives. Acts chapter 4, verse 5. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And this is the the Sanhedrin. Seventy-five men. Seventy-one men. The most powerful Jewish leaders. And these leaders were the experts of the law. These were not the people you would want to get in a debate with. They would wipe the floor with you. These guys were intimidating. And now, Peter and John have been called before these people. And here's the question that they have. Acts chapter 4, verse 7. By what power, or by what name, did you do this? Some commentaries have twisted, uh, turned that and said, this is what they were really asking. Who do you think you are? Listen to Peter's response. Verse 8. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, And I love that, because if you go read in Matthew or the other Gospels, one of the things that Jesus says to the disciples when He sends out the twelve disciples on their first missionary journey, and He says this in other times too, He says, Don't worry about what to say, because when the time comes, you will be told what to say. I'm paraphrasing. And here it is. Peter is being asked this question, and the Holy Spirit fills him, and this is his reply. Rulers and elders of the people... If, you are, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a crippled man, and we are asked how he was healed, then know this. You and all the people of Israel, it is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified from... whom. But Let me start over, sorry. It is the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And after this answer, the Sanhedrin, they didn't really know what to do. You know, it's not every day that you had the Sanhedrin puzzled. But in verse 13, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. I love that. Unschooled, ordinary men astonishing the top leaders in Jerusalem. And at the very end of it, Jesus is recognized. They took note of this one thing that these men had been with Jesus. You see, when we live our lives for Jesus, when we walk daily with Jesus, people should notice. People should see it, it should have an impact on how we live. That's what, it's, what happens when it's not about us. People take note that we are followers of Christ. People recognize by what we do and how we live our lives that it's not about us, and it's about Christ. So now the tables are kind of turned. These ordinary men have the powerful Sanhedrin And they don't know on edge, and they don't know what to do, and they don't know what to say. In verse 14, here's what they said. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. What are they going to say? It was like they're just kind of stuck. Like, what do we do here? The Sanhedrin intimidated. By whom? Ordinary followers of Jesus. Jesus. And the beggar was standing right there. He was over 40 years old. And these men did not know what to do in this situation. If it's not about us, or if it's all about us, we will very quickly run out of of, uh, ways of getting ourselves through situations. We will find ourselves in situations and we won't know what to do. But if it's all about Jesus, He will always guide us through every situation. So the Sanhedrin, they kind of ask Peter and, and John to step out and they have this quiet little meeting. And here they admit that what has happened is amazing. Listen to what they say in verse 16. What are we going to do with these men? These mighty, powerful men. And they're standing there going, what are we going to do with these ordinary people? He, they, they said, everybody in Jerusalem knows that what they have done is an outstanding miracle. And we cannot deny it. So it wasn't that they were bothered by the miracle. They know what the miracle was, an amazing miracle. They know that the miracle that was done was incredible. And they aren't going to deny it. Verse 17, But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn these men to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Can I just say this to us this morning? If we are doing good in this world, in our name, my guess is we will almost never have any opposition. Because if Peter and John had healed this man for their own glory and praise, they would have never tried to make Jesus famous, and they probably would never even have spent a night in jail, and they would have never been standing here before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was, were not worried about the miracle. They loved the miracle. They were amazed. They couldn't deny the miracle. But what bothered them was that these guys were proclaiming Jesus. If we do good deeds for ourselves, we will probably never face opposition. But if we do good deeds in the name of Jesus to make Him famous, to make Him known, I believe we will often stand in opposition to people. Because what these Sanhedrin wanted more than anything was for that name not to be preached. They called Peter and John back into their midst. And they commanded them, verse 18, to not speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Listen to Peter's reply. Verse 19, But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. I want us to just examine ourselves for a moment. We could maybe take this little line that Peter says here where we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. We could maybe take that line and say it this way We cannot help speaking about Jesus. I don't know about you. But I often can't help speaking about me. So, like, what'd you do yesterday? Man, like, that, you know, when you did that, that was good. Yeah, thanks, man. I, like, I worked my butt off on that thing. I was just like, Whoo, I'm so glad it went good. And, you know, that's not really how I talk, but that's just, you know, some animation here on the stage. But, you know, very often it's I, I can't help talk about myself. I can't help but sort of promote myself. It's one of those things I don't like about myself much. Peter says, "Guys, I don't I, I'm 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 kind of puzzled how we're going to do this because I can't help it. I can't help but speaking about what I have seen and heard, which tells me that when we read this word, when we go through scripture, we should find ourselves in a situation with our employers, our employees, our other, the people in our communities, and kind of finding ourselves in the same situation, saying, I just can't help but speak about Jesus. John Piper, at Passion 2011, and we had such an awesome time there, he asked us this question and try to follow along, because this is a Piper question, and usually the question is so confusing that you can't really figure it out. But anyway, here's the question that John Piper asked us. Do you feel more loved by God because He makes much of you, or because He enables you to make much of Him? Do you feel more loved by God because He makes much of you, or because He enables you make much of him the question kind of breaks down this way what makes you feel loved what makes you feel important what makes you feel like you've accomplished something what makes you happy what gives you joy and when you dig down to the very bottom of those things you're going to find one of two things you're going to find you or you're going to find jesus And at the very bottom of what makes you feel loved, is it when you are recognized? Or when Jesus is recognized? That's a big question. Do you feel more loved by God because He makes much of you? Or because He enables you to make much of Him? You may have heard of this little word, It's called Narcissism. I just read a great article. Jody gave me the Leadership Magazine, and there's this whole article on pastoral narcissism. And I'm like, oh, great. Woo, prep, you know. An amazing article. There are, you know, you may ask, well, what does this word mean? Um, Dictionary says it's an inordinate fascination with oneself. It's it's excessive self-love. Vanity. You may say, well, where does this word come from? And there are sort of three common myths out there. And I found that the most common one is from the Roman poet Ovid, if I'm saying it right. In his tale, and there's much more to it than what I have time to share this morning, but here's sort of the the brunt of the tale of this myth. There was a young boy named Narcissus. And one day, young Narcissus is walking through the forest. And he comes across a river, or he comes up to a river, and there's this girl chasing him called Echo or something like that, but we won't worry about her. And he comes up to this river, and he looks at the river, and he sees his reflection. And he falls in love with his reflection. And he's standing there, and he's just gazing at his reflection, and he goes to kiss the reflection, but as he comes closer, the reflection fades. So he quickly pulls back. And he's just staring at his reflection, and he loves the reflection. And he gets thirsty. And so he wants to have a drink, but he knows that if he touches the water to get a drink, he will disturb the water, which will damage the reflection. And the story goes that this boy, narcissist, died of thirst staring at his reflection. Narcissism. Such incredible self-love that he died. I don't want to pick on anybody, but I think Facebook is the source of... That's the river today. Your Facebook profile. Is Jesus made famous? Or are you? And I'm as guilty as the rest. But this is one of those things where we look at and say, all you non Facebook are saying, see, <laughs> Facebook is of the devil, I told you. And I, I see all the proud men right now saying, I'm not on it. You know, It's in other areas as well. Come on now. T.S. Eliot wrote this, Half the harm that is done in this world is due to people who want to feel important. Half the harm done in this world is due to people who want to feel important. Think about the conflicts around the world right now. Think about the average church conflict. Think about the average relationship conflict, marriage conflict, the wars that have been in our history. Half of those things are probably as a result of people wanting to feel important. He continues, says, they don't mean to do harm, but the harm does not interest them, or they do not see it, or they justify the harm, because they are absorbed in the endless struggle to think well of themselves. I just want to say here, this is not just in areas of ministry. This is in every area. We must be careful that we do not just want to get the credit for ourselves. Peter's response to the Sanhedrin was this. Sorry, I cannot help but speak about Jesus. Why? Because for Peter, it was not about him. It was about Jesus. They warned them, if you continue reading, they warned them to never preach again, and then they let them go. And then these disciples, they go back, and at the end of chapter 4, you read the story there. They go back and they tell the church what has happened. The first reaction in the church is to praise God for what has happened. It's not just a prayer of triumph, though. It's also a prayer of courage and boldness and strength. And undoubtedly, these disciples now suddenly have a very personal understanding of what the conflict was that Jesus faced with the people around Him. And this is what happened after they had prayed. Verse 31 of chapter 4. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the Word of God boldly what happens next these guys keep on preaching and if you keep reading Acts you find Stephen is stoned and persecution breaks out and this massive revival spreads all over the region and these disciples keep preaching boldly And at chapter 5 these disciples are arrested again and they're thrown in jail again and then an angel comes to them at nighttime, frees them from the jail and tells them to go stand in the temple. The next day it's almost comical, because the leaders send for them to be arrested, you know, to be brought before the leaders. "Go get the guys from jail, and we're going to have our meeting here." And, and so they send for these disciples, and, and here's what they find. They find the jail is secured, guards are in place, but no prisoners. Verse 24 of chapter 5, On hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would have come of this. And now it's almost like God having some fun with these people. Verse 25, Then someone came back and said, Look, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts teaching the people. I can just see, just like a bunch of Mennonites running through the windows, and no way, you know, look at that, there they are, and what do we do? It's kind of humbling. Like These guys just don't get it. And, and Peter and John, they didn't run when they were freed. They went right back, boldly preaching the name of Jesus. They are again rebuked. And Peter tells them that they will rather obey God than men. Same message. Nothing has changed. Sorry guys, you can do to us what you want. We cannot help but preach the name of Jesus. Then a Pharisee, and I hope I say this right, Gamaliel, good enough. We'll just use it once if I didn't say it right. If you're wondering who this guy was, this was Paul's teacher, Saul's teacher before. And so anyway, this guy has some advice for the Sanhedrin. And this is what he says to them, Acts chapter 5, verse 38. Turn there with me and read with me. Therefore, this guy says, In the present case I advise you, and he's speaking to the Sanhedrin, Leave these men alone. Let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. This guy says, I have seen this before. People coming and preaching. And if it is of human origin, it's going to fail. Nothing's going to come of it. Don't worry about it, guys. You're getting way too wound up about this whole thing. Let it go. Because if this is of human origin... In a few weeks, it's going to be all gone and done. Don't worry about it. Listen to what he says in verse 39. But if this is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourself fighting against God. What an amazing lesson for life. That if we live our lives for ourselves, this Pharisee would tell you, you're going to fail. If it's all about you, if everything you do every day, and this is not just church related, this is not just ministry, this is about your business, this is about your academics, this is about your career, this is about all parts of your life. If it's about you getting recognized, this Pharisee tells you, you will fail. But if it's about taking the gifts that God has given you and making Jesus known and not living for ourselves, but living for Jesus, this Pharisee will tell you, you cannot be stopped. I love that. Because there are moments in my life where I just think, I can't get through this. I don't know what to do in this situation. I don't know how I will find my way through here. And I'm sure many of you find yourself in these kind of daily situations where you are wondering, what will I do with this situation? What will I do in my marriage? What will I do with my kids? What will I do with my finances? What will I do with all this? And I want to encourage you today, if you are living your life for Jesus, and if He is the reason you live, you can't be stopped. You may not get everything you want here on this earth, but you will ultimately get the prize. Man, I thought at least like more than a murmured amen on that one, but it's too late now. I'm just saying, that's amazing. Thank you. I feel better now. Kidding. Verse forty. His speech persuaded them. They called the disciples in and had them flogged. In other words, they got a good beating. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus again and let them go. Verse 41. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Have you ever been punished for doing something good? Verse 42. Day after day in the temple court. And from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. Am I implying here at all today that we are nothing, that we are worthless? I want to encourage you, actually, go to desiringgod.com, and it's John Piper's... Um, uh, site, you can go on that sermon, type in Passion 2011. He already has this whole sermon on his website. An amazing sermon. He has seven ways that God makes much of us. And it, it's just one of those talks that at the end of it, you're like, yes, it's all about Jesus because God has done so much for us. And so it's not that we are nothing. We can't, you know, I think sometimes we also make much of us by Humbling ourselves and saying, oh, I'm nothing, I'm nothing, and we want people to say, oh, yeah, you're somebody, you're important. This is not. We're not talking here this morning about how we are worthless. We are made in the image of God. We are created by Him. We are worth everything. And we are created, the shape that we just learned about, how we were designed, what our purpose was, what our spiritual gifts are, what our heart is, what our abilities are, what our personalities are, what our experiences are. All those things we have, our shape is not so that we can pump ourselves up, but so that we can worship Jesus, that we can lift His name up. So I'm not saying today that you're not worth much, not at all. You are worth everything. God sent His Son to die on the cross for you. Why? So that you could lift up the name of Jesus. Can I be bold? I feel that sometimes people that say they have no purpose, people that say that their life has no meaning, and they don't know what to do with their life, I find sometimes when I'm in that situation, it's because I've made way too much of myself. See, God knows His purpose for your life. And if you feel that your life is meaningless, is it possible that it's because you're living for yourself and not for Him? So the next time you come into a situation where you are punished for doing something good and you don't get the recognition that you maybe thought you should, you did something for people... Celebrate that, because you did it for Christ. You lived for Him. Live your life every single day lifting up the name of Jesus, because that is your purpose. Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus Himself says these words, Then He said to them all, If anyone would come after Me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow Me. I want us to just a moment now, could we just examine ourselves? Your life right now, is it about you or is it about Jesus? What gives you joy? You or Jesus? I want to pray for us. And I, folks, I just talked to someone at the back. I struggle with this like anybody else i think many of us do and we may say sometimes well i need to now just stand out in front of everybody and say oh jesus Jesus." it's more of a heart issue i don't know how you're going to go to work tomorrow and someone says hey good job on that or hey you did a really yeah i don't really know what you're going to say but it's more in the heart Where in the heart you recognize i couldn't have done this without jesus I wouldn't have the skills I have without Jesus. I'm not really sure. You know, it's, it's kind of easier for us as pastors in the back saying, praise the Lord, amen, praise the Lord, praise the Lord, you know, as you come by and say, hey, thanks for the sermon, stuff like that. I'm not sure how that would really translate into your workplace. Yeah, Jesus, you know. But it's more in the heart. So I'm asking us all, are we willing to walk out of here today and say, okay, in my heart and outwardly as much as I can, I will make my life about Jesus. I will make my life about making Jesus known. And if I am persecuted, it's not because of the good I did, it's because I did it in the name of Jesus. So I want to pray with us. And we haven't done this in a while, but if you want me to pray for you as well as myself, I just want to ask you to stand. If you're saying, "You know what, pray for me, This is an area that I struggle. I'm just, man, I lift myself up too often. So often I make it about myself, but I want to leave here. I want to be different. I want my life to count for Christ. I want my life to proclaim Him. I want my life to make Jesus famous in this world. If that's you this morning, I want to pray for you. But I'd like it if you would stand and show others that this is what you're proclaiming. Don't just stand because others are standing. But if this is what you want to do, Let's pray. Father God, I thank You so much for Your Word. God, I stand with these people. I stand before You with my heart open. And God, we, we apologize for those moments in life where You've given us a chance to proclaim You. But instead of doing that, we took the credit. God, you called us good. You complimented us. You made us good. You sent your Son to die on a cross for us. You lavished your love on us. And so often we've taken all of that and we've turned it to benefit us. And not you. So on behalf of all those standing in myself, God, I say sorry. But Lord, I pray now through your Holy Spirit guide us, show us, teach us how we are to live for others. Or how we are to live for you among others. Teach us how this is supposed to look in our workplace. Teach us how this is supposed to look at our schools or in our community. But God, I pray, give us a heart that yearns for you. Give us a heart that desires to make you known. And Father, I pray, give us opportunities to be punished for doing good in your name. So that your name can be lifted up. Oh God, you're a good God. You're amazing. It's not about us. This is all about you. So may our lives just pour that out. In your name I pray. Amen.